I've just realised the election is three weekends away. Election day is in three Saturdays. Isn't that wild? On that note, let's get cracking. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. National wants to change some of the rules around benefits, so what sort of impact might there be? We're closing in on the Rugby World Cup's halfway mark, so time to get some hot takes from the host of one of the world's most popular rugby podcasts. Has Taylor Swift broken the internet? Plus, politicians and lightning strikes, the unlikely but surprisingly not-so-uncommon duo. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Payments to beneficiaries has popped into the election agenda, with National revealing a policy to stop raising unemployment benefits in line with the higher of either wage inflation or the cost of living, and instead stick to just inflation. The Children's Commission said indexing benefits to wage growth had been the single biggest step to stop children remaining in poverty. But would this make a huge difference to the number of people on benefit? We're joined now by Victoria University of Wellington's Max Rashbrook, who specialises in economic inequality. Kia ora, Max. Welcome to Newsable. Hello. Great to be on the show. The line from National, this is a quote, there are now almost 60,000 more people on a job seeker unemployment benefit compared with when National left office six years ago. How accurate is that number? I think it's probably accurate in its own terms. I mean, it's important to note that those numbers have come down since 2020, you know, since the height of the pandemic. But the thing about the numbers is they don't really tell us that much in isolation because more people on benefits may simply mean that it has quite reasonably been made slightly easier to get benefits for people who really need them. So actually that can be a sign that the state is doing a better job in supporting people while they're going through a tough period of time. I'm going to chuck another number at you. 25,000 more people, according to National, who've spent a year or longer on job seeker benefit. Are there misconceptions around how benefits work and what the numbers mean? I think there are a lot of misconceptions. You know, if you poll the public and you say, you know, what proportion of government spending goes on unemployment benefits, people tend to state these huge amounts and actually the sums are pretty small. Far and away, by an order of magnitude, the biggest part of the welfare budget is New Zealand super, mm. you know, payments to, to pensioners, uh, which very few people have problems with. And the numbers of people who are long-term on benefits when they could be in work is very small. Now, of course, that is still a problem. It's something we should pay attention to. It's something we should try to deal with because long-term benefit dependency isn't great for people and you know people want to be making a contribution through paid work or something like that and we should be working with those people and finding out how best to support them to make the contribution to society they want to make but the idea that this is some vast problem sort of looming out there is simply not true. The National Party's also proposed a traffic light system in terms of sanctions orange warnings, red warnings, do do things like this work? No, they don't. It's very clear from the latest, most comprehensive evidence, there's been a lot of research coming out of the UK, particularly in the last couple of years, that shows that sanctions don't work. And I think the reason they don't work is that they're based on a flawed model 
of how beneficiaries live and how people's minds work. You know, the, the model there is obviously, well, beneficiaries have these individual failings. Mm. And so if they're not complying with what the state has asked them, they must be at fault. And so we should punish them and that will frighten them into into getting back into the workforce. In point of fact, a lot of people who are on benefits lead very difficult lives. Often they're in poor physical health and poor mental health. They have low esteem. They often don't have secure housing, so they're moving from place to place. So their lives are pretty chaotic. And so if they don't turn up for a counselling session or for a job interview or if they're not looking for 175 different jobs a week or whatever it is the state is asking them to do, it's generally not because they're taking the mickey. It's usually because they've had some terrible life shock, you know, a sudden car bill that they just don't know how to afford and that's just thrown their life into even greater chaos. Can you explain what sort of difference indexing benefits to wage growth, which is what currently happens right now under a Labour government, the difference between that versus indexing them to inflation, which is what National is proposing? Yes, it's one of these technical issues that sounds quite dull but is actually hugely important to people's lives. Although in the last couple of years we've had a freak period where inflation has risen more quickly than wages for a lot of people. In the long run, wages always increase much more quickly than inflation. That's why people's living standards increase and people earn more. So what New Zealand has largely done for the last 30 years is only increase benefits in line with inflation, which means benefits have fallen further and further behind wages. And so the things that beneficiaries can afford to buy have fallen further and further behind those that people on wages can afford to buy. If you index benefits to wages, so they increase when wages increase, then beneficiaries actually have a a fighting chance of seeing their living standards keep pace with those of the rest of New Zealand. Max Rashbrook, I really appreciate your time just now. Thank you so much. Now this might seem slightly off-piste, but today I want to know if you've ever been hit by lightning or... If you know someone who has been hit by lightning, I'll explain more in a minute, I promise. Get in touch on Instagram, search Newsable NZ, or via email as well. Go on, newsable at stuff.co.nz. We are closing in on the halfway stage of the Rugby World Cup. And while, of course, the All Blacks are close to my heart, I am so excited that Wales is the first team to qualify for a quarterfinal spot. But how is everyone doing and what have the ABs been up to in their rest week? Well, to bring us up to date with everything Rugby World Cup, I'm joined now from London by Andy Rowe, who hosts Top Rugby Pod, the rugby pot. Andy, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello. How are you? So good. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Busy time of year. Busy yes, time of year I'd, every four years. I can imagine uh, <laughs> with that title. Andy, let's kick things straight off. Which team or teams are surprising you thus far? Fiji. Fiji and Wales. Mm. Fiji and Wales have surprised yeah. me the most. And like they are so good to watch for totally different reasons. Just a grit and the physicality and the structure and the tactics from Wales coming from what they were doing in the Six Nations where they came fifth Mm. out of six teams. And now they're looking like a team that could quite easily make the semifinals and really just needs to play one decent game to make a final now. And then Fiji, who doesn't like watching Fiji? Mm. Who doesn't love watching (laughs) Fiji? They've been incredible. It's just the way that they've managed to bring structure to their game and they've always been known for their flair 
They've always been known for their physicality, their build ball skills, their speed, their size, all that kind of stuff. Now they've got this structure as well. They are looking like they might face England in the quarterfinals. Oh my gosh, imagine. And I don't think England would want to be facing them again after losing to them a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Australia will be hoping the dust has settled on this one, but we're not going to let them get away with it. The Aussies, did you forecast a performance quite this bad? I don't think anyone thought they'd be quite this bad. And I felt for the players when you saw how much it means to them on the field and I've never heard any great reviews from anyone that's played under Eddie Jones or coached under him. Obviously knows his rugby, but I think he's a little bit of a dinosaur in the way that he implements his way of leading and coaching. No one forecasts him going backwards this far, this quickly. And it's scary because we, as New Zealanders, we need Australian rugby to be strong. We really do. If they're that bad and we don't have South African teams to play against, I don't know how we keep up with the rest of the world. I really don't. And not just like from a player's perspective and playing against the best teams, from a commercial perspective. If the rest of the world is saying domestic competition in Australia and New Zealand is not worth watching or not worth investing in, that's money that's not going to be coming into New Zealand rugby union's mm. pocket. So that's money that we can't spend on keeping players. That means we're going to lose more players. That means the All Blacks are going to get weaker and it snowballs from there. Mm. It's scary. Uh, the All Blacks, it's been called a rest week. I'm sure that's not what they've been doing. What have you been hearing about how they've been refocusing in this time? They've been in Bordeaux, of course. Mm. So they've been down there enjoying some... There's lots of fans going along with the games. I've heard there's been a bit of a rough tumble in the camp. They've been playing some 15 on 15 and you know a bit of push and shove from the forwards. <laughs> so they've been getting physical and training. It sounds like they're going to be fully fit to face Italy, which is, that's what we need because we can't afford to slip up against Italy. No. And this is a very, very good Italy side as far as Italy sides go. Quarterfinals, is it clear cut? Do we know, who do you reckon is going to reach it? Have we kind of got a good idea now? More than likely, I'd say 90% chance that it's going to be Ireland and South Africa getting out of that mm-hmm. pool. So you'll have Ireland playing against the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have France playing against South Africa. Then on the other quarterfinals, it's looking like it's going to be Wales against Argentina, Fiji against England, and Fiji to make the semifinals. Andy Rowe, thanks for your time and for having a yarn. And thank you to everyone who got in touch with who they think is going to win the Rugby World Cup. Ireland was the most popular response. And also just a quick shout-out to Nikki Wales for always and reliably choosing Wales. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I what, think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's, Nothing that's in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Taylor Swift chat is coming right up, don't you worry. But do remember to chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform if you're enjoying what you're hearing. And while you're there, go on, leave us a review. We cannot go any further without addressing this. 
That was some crowd noise from an American football match between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chicago Bears. Why am I playing you that, you may ask? Because that game has sent the internet and Taylor Swift fans into an absolute spin. Taylor was there in a private suite watching her rumoured love interest, Travis Kelsey, play. And here to explain why this is worth talking about is staff reporter and fellow Swifty, Lyric Waiwiri Smith. Kia ora, Lyric, how are you? I'm good, Imogen. How are you? So good. Losing my mind, to be perfectly honest. Why has everyone lost the plot? I'll admit, I see the videos on social media the sneaky videos that people have taken of the pair of them, I find myself blushing. Kicking your feet and uh, feeling a bit shy. Yeah, what's going on? It was like the most publicised first date of all time. I think Taylor has lived quite a private life. She's had the same boyfriend for six years until earlier this year they broke up. So the Taylor sightings are like gold to our community. It's not something you get often because she is a very high profile woman and, you know, she does want to live a private life. But that was out the gate. She just looked like she was having such a great time. Yeah. Let's rewind, though. How did we get here? How is this date set up? Because we do know a little bit of info about that, don't we? So in July, Travis Kelsey had gone to see Taylor Swift at Arrowhead Stadium. But Taylor Swift does not see guests before the show because she's, you know, resting her voice because three hours of performing takes it out of you. So he had, as one person on Twitter really rightly put it, a friendship bracelet and a dream. Because if you're up on Taylor Swift TikTok, you know that friendship bracelets at the Eras Tour are like the number one commodity. So he had his friendship bracelet with his phone number on to give to her. (laughs) Obviously, they didn't get to meet, but she must have heard his plans and Here we are. I think actually he had invited her to see him at Arrowhead. I'm honestly not surprised that she was like, you know what? Maybe I will. And I'll go with your mum as well. And I'll sit in the private suite. (laughs) She loves meeting mums early age. No, and it's quite funny. The social media posts after the fact as well. If these two do start dating, the warnings to Kansas City Chiefs fans that they're going to have to start competing with Taylor Swift fans for season passes. Because as you mentioned, a Taylor Swift sighting is a rare sight indeed. Has Taylor Swift broken the internet officially? I believe she has. I might be a bit biased, but I think Taylor Swift is the internet. Um, (laughs) There was one tweet that came out of that whole event where Taylor was photographed with a fan and she was eating chicken wings. And the caption was, Taylor Swift spotted eating chicken wings and ketchup with seemingly ranch. (laughs) And just like seemingly ranch is a meme now. Lyric, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Uh, Swifties forever. Straight up. Before I leave you, I simply must bring up the fact that there's at least three MPs or MP hopefuls who've been struck by lightning. In fact, it's a Minister of the Crown, a sitting MP and an MP hopeful. They'd all say they've been struck by lightning. It's Labour's Ayesha Viral, National's Maureen Pugh, who says she's been struck three times by lightning, and Lee Donoghue, who's standing for New Zealand first. I'm sorry, this is weird, right? This is very strange. Or is being struck by lightning a more regular occurrence than I think it is? Please. 
tell me if I'm wrong, but what are the odds? Also, Maureen Pugh, three times, that is wild. Please help me make sense of all of this and get in touch. Have you been struck by lightning? Or do you know someone who's been struck by lightning? If the answer is yes to either of those questions, I want to hear from you because I have so, so many questions. Hit up the DMs on Insta, email me, please. That is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Have a good one. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.